Well, good evening and welcome to our pastor's class here at Hickory Grove. We're delighted to have you join us tonight as we continue our new series. In fact, if you uh, are here for the first time, you ought to know last week we began a new series. And what we're going to do this uh, fall is we're going to work through not a book of the Bible as we typically do. We're going to work through a book about the Bible. In fact, we're going to work through a volume called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. It was published in 2007. It has a fairly provocative title. You may think, my word, what's a respectable sin? And it's titled for a reason. It's going to help us see that there are certain sins in our life that, candidly, we just don't take too seriously. There's a lot of sins that we minimize and sometimes forget all about. And that's what we're going to do this fall, is we're going to take a, a deep dive and we're going to examine all these various ways we tend to minimize sin. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw, as we went through chapters 1 through 3 of that book, you saw us really focus on the reality of sin, just the fact that it is a, a real thing even in believers, saints of God. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapters 4 through 6. And as we do, I want you to see with me the remedy for this sin. So last week, the reality, this week, the remedy, and then hold on in the succeeding weeks, we're going to start looking specifically at these so-called respectable sins, or, or you might even call them subtle sins. We'll look at those in detail in the coming weeks. But tonight, we're going to look at the remedy for sin, which I must gr give this caveat before I pray and begin. If you miss tonight, if you don't take seriously this remedy we're going to look at together, the rest of this series is going to feel unnecessarily weighty. If you, if you miss tonight, if you don't get a grip on the remedy for sin, everything else is going to feel like such a burden that you cannot bear. So would you join me as we pray and ask God to help us feel the wonder of His divine remedy for our sin as we embark this fall on this study of so-called respectable sins. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, now I ask that you would come and that you would speak in and through me, in spite of me, and that you would help my dear brothers and sisters who are joining us tonight. Give each of us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each of us has a tendency to make light of small sins in our lives. We have this innate tendency to look at those big sins and categorize them as the significant ones. These are the things that we really ought to be worried about. And indeed, this is what makes somebody a sinner. But it's those small things in our lives that we tend to just suppress. We, we make light of, and I'm talking about those things like gossip, resentment, and you know, selfishness, pride, bitterness, those things that you, you know they're not good, you hate that you deal with them, but you don't find yourself really feeling this real sense of weightiness when you do them. In fact, you oftentimes make excuses for them, do you not? It's those subtle sins, those, well, what you could call a respectable sin that we just tend to make light of. But what I want you to see today and it is those very sins that we as believers must grow in awareness of. Indeed, if you are in Christ, 
you will grow in awareness of these. My testimony has been that since the Lord saved me roughly 20 years ago, I have grown in my awareness of sin. I feel more acutely my sin today than I did 20 years ago. And that's not just my story, that's the story of John Newton, who was a famed British slave trader who repented of his sin, converted to Christ, and is famously remembered for pinning those immortal words of the hymn Amazing Grace. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. On his deathbed, he wrote, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. You see, John Newton's hope at that point was he saw his sin, both great and small sins alike, and he put all of his hope in Jesus, his great Savior, reflecting the heart of the Apostle Paul, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. And then he turns it inward and says, of whom I am foremost. Just let that hit you. The great Apostle Paul, perhaps the sharpest tool in the Redeemer's hands the Lord has ever used in church history, he described himself as the foremost of sinners. This is the heart of a man or woman converted by the Spirit of God. For the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you'll see your sin. But what do you do as you continue in this walk with the Lord and you still see it? What do you, as a believer for the last decade or more, how do you reckon with the fact that every day you continue to battle sin? What do you do with those things that tend to cling near to you? What do you do when you continue to battle gossip and resentment and bitterness? What category do you have for that? How do you confront it? How do you grow? Today I want you to see, indeed Jerry Bridges makes this very clear in chapters 4 through 6, that the remedy for this sin is the same remedy for saving you. You see, I want you to see that the remedy for these subtle sins in your life is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The remedy for sin is the gospel of Christ. And that might strike you funny, because again, you're thinking, well, my word, I needed the gospel to get saved, but do I really still need it? Is that not elementary? Christianity? Is that not milk? And I ought to be longing for spiritual meat? Do I really still need the gospel to grow in my awareness and death to these subtle sins in my life? And the answer is a most affirmative yes. And I would argue for two reasons. First off, if you're taking notes, I want you to mark this down. You and I, we need the gospel. We need it to face sin. We really need it to face sin. And I want you to see there's two reasons why. The first thing is we need the gospel to face sin with humility. And the reason we need humility is because you and I are prone to not see ourselves naturally as sinners. We'll see individual acts, particularly those heinous or more secret sins, as sin. But we tend to confront all of those smaller subtle sins uh, with a lack of humility. Uh, we tend to just see them as small. And I think it's important that we go back and recognize that God has given us His Word. In fact, 2 uh, Timothy 3.16 tells us that God has given us His Word for a variety of reasons. But notice what two of the reasons are. 
In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, God has given believers his word for reproof and for correction. In other words, he recognizes that believers need to be corrected. They need reproof. They still have sin. You and I have sin dwelling within. There's this tendency we have to see ourselves as better than those sinners out there who are doing things that are more demonstrable in the eyes of our culture. But I want you to consider in the light of Christ's glory and grace, you must see your sin to be what it is. By analogy, I, when I lived in Arkansas, had a white house. And during the normal months, the house looked pretty nice and clean and white. I never thought anything of the paint. Until those mornings when I would wake up and there had been a nighttime snowfall. And when I woke up and went out my front door and that bright, pure, beautiful snow was covering all the land, I would turn and look at my house, and perhaps you've had this happen to you before, all of a sudden that white house looks really dingy. All of a sudden that white paint looks awfully dim compared to the pure whiteness of new fallen snow. This is but an analogy of who we are before a holy God. You see, the more you reveal, the more Christ reveals Himself to you in His Word, the more you hold up the Bible as a mirror and see yourself, the more you're going to begin to see your sin with humility. And that's why you need the gospel. As believers today, you need to saturate your mind and heart with the gospel of Jesus with humility so that you will begin to see who you really are. And this is going to drive you, this is going to drive you to see your need for Christ. You didn't just need Him on the day of your conversion. We need Him as much today. And so, brothers and sisters, we need the gospel. We need this gospel to help us face our sin with humility, to finally recognize that we are indeed sinners and all these subtle sins are real. But we also need the gospel to help us face sin, not just with humility, but thanks be to God, with hope. Because the trick is, you contend, in fact this would be very normal, you contend when you see your sin, when you are confronted with it, to have this enormous sense of guilt. And this guilt can begin to be heavy. And all of a sudden this guilt compounds with shame. And before you know it, you find yourself doing what every young child does. What does a child do when they know they've done something wrong? They run and hide. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned in the garden? They hid. What do you do when you know you've done something wrong? Are you prone to come and confess it? No, you're prone to hide. Imagine the difference between a harsh parent and a gracious parent. Who are you more inclined to go confess your sin to? The harsh taskmaster who you know is going to come down heavy? or the more gracious parent who loves you and will discipline you but is going to extend kindness and grace and compassion? Well, I don't need to answer that. You know the answer. And that's why the gospel is so critical for us today as believers. You need the gospel to help you face your sin with hope because you know there is a good, loving, and gracious God who, like the father in the, prodigal, in the parable of the prodigal son, will receive you with open arms and with compassion. He will here you confess your sins, and the scripture says He's faithful. He's just to forgive you of these sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God that we have a gospel, 
a precious good news that will sustain us so that when we are confronted, when we face our sins, we can do so with humility, recognizing that we are indeed this person, and with hope, knowing that this is not a matter of condemnation, that indeed Jesus Christ has forgiven us of these sins, and He will, by His grace, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need the gospel, and you need it to face your sin. But there's a second major reason why you and I need the gospel today as we live with the reality of subtle sin in our life. The second reason is simply this. We need it not just to face sin. You need the gospel to fight sin. You, you need it to fight sin. And I want you to notice with me something really important. Jerry Bridges writes, and I, I highlighted, I underlined, I starred this sentence. It's one that you need to go find in the book and commit to your own heart as well. He pins that only sin can be fought if sin is forgiven. Now I want you to just chew on that for a moment. You will never be successful in your fight with sin unless that sin has already been forgiven. In other words, you're never going to be able to see any victory in your fight with sin unless there is somebody coming alongside you, unless there is somebody who has done something for you. In and of yourself, you are not going to find victory. And I want you to see why. You see, if you did not have somebody assisting you, your fight with sin would be mere duty. It would just be like exercising. You get up and you know you should do it, so you're going to go exercise, but, or like a diet. But you all know how that goes for so many people. You, have, you feel good for a few days and then it starts to wane. Just consider your own pattern with sin. Uh, let's say you were deeply convicted over something you looked at last night. You wake up the next morning, you're deeply convicted over the sin, and you resolve that you are not going to do this again. And you feel good for about 24 hours. And then that conviction begins to wane. And before you know it, you're back at it again. That's the pattern we all have of sin, because we are seeking to fight it out of mere duty. And what the gospel does is it transforms this duty to fight sin. It transforms it into a delight. Because you see, duty without desire is nothing less than drudgery. It's, it's just drudgery. But when you finally have this desire to fight sin, not just this duty-bound compulsion, but a true delight-driven desire, what you could call a, a gospel motivation to fight sin, you're going to notice real victory. And so wherein can we find this gospel-driven, motivating power to fight this sin? How indeed does the gospel help us fight our sin. Well, there's a few ways, and I want you to mark these down. Really two, and I want you to notice these are going to distinguish themselves in two significant ways. First off, we need to fight sin with dependence, which almost might sound contradictory because I'm asking you to do something. The Lord is asking you to do something, fight sin, but then we're changing the tone and saying, but you need to do so with dependence. And that's critical because you need to remember, if you try to fight sin on your own, you'll fail. If you try to do this yourself, if you try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it will not last. You desperately depend on something else, somebody else to assist you in this fight. And there's really two ways that Jerry Bridges draws out for us, two different ways we must depend when we fight 
sin. First off, we need to depend on what Christ has done. In other words, you, you need to preach the gospel to yourself and recognize that if anyone is in Christ, we're a new creation, that Jesus is indeed changing us, and by His grace, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. You see, in Christ, we stand utterly forgiven. Jesus has paid in full the penalty for our sin. And so, we can come with this great hope and trust and confidence that Jesus has already done for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. And so, we just depend on this gospel and we say, Lord Jesus, help me to crucify these sinful tendencies I have, recognizing that I stand by your mercy and grace forgiven. Lord, I do not come before you with lacking confidence. I do not come before you with my head hung in shame. I can approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you have paid the penalty of my sin. I stand justified before you. Lord Jesus, I am saved, and by your grace, I will stand before your holiness one day, the sinner that I am, justified. What life-giving, hope-filled confidence there is in the gospel of Jesus. And so remember, you and I, we need the gospel to fight sin. And we need the gospel to fight sin with dependence on what he has done. But the question we got to ask ourselves is we know what Jesus did to save us on the cross, but what do we need to depend on to keep fighting sin this day? Because you recognize that, thank you, Lord, for saving me from the penalty of sin, but it still feels like sin has this power over me. I know I'm forgiven, but I keep battling these things. And the truth of the matter is, the scripture is clear, that we have indwelling sin that remains. This is self-evident. Just because the Lord has saved you does not mean He has perfected you. We are in a gradual process of sanctification, wherein we are slowly becoming what Christ has called us to be. But we are not there yet, and we will not be there yet till that great day of glorification. Until that day comes, What do we need to depend on as we walk this walk until Christ calls us home? Well, by His grace, He has given us an unspeakable helper, this great paraclete, the Bible says, a helper who is going to come alongside us and is going to help us, the Holy Spirit of God. So I want you to see that that we need the gospel to face sin, to fight it, to fight it with all our might. And we got to do so with dependence, not just on what Christ has done. We need to do so with dependence on what the Spirit is doing this moment. If you don't have this committed to heart, memorize Romans chapter 8, verse 13, which reads, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. You see, Paul doesn't say, if you just mortify sin, if you just kill it, if you just say no, you'll live. He says, if by the Spirit you do these things, you will live. You see, the Spirit has this wonderful ministry in your life wherein He convicts you of your sin. He is the one who pricks your conscience and helps you see sin to be what it is. He doesn't just convict us, He cleanses us from our sin. He wipes it away. He cleanses your conscience. And by His grace, He consecrates us. He he sanctifies us day by day. 
You depend on the Spirit every moment of every day to see your sin and to hate your sin and to repent of your sin. And so we need to live, we need to fight the fight of faith daily with dependence on what the Spirit is doing this moment because Christ has not just paid the penalty of sin. He has broken the power of sin by the ministry of the Spirit sanctifying you day by day. There is no temptation that has seized you except what's common to man. God's faithful and He's going to provide a way for you to stand up under this sin. He'll provide a way out. We, by the power of the Spirit, can daily live to fight the fight of faith. Kill sin, even those subtle sins in our life. So we've talked about this dependent side, but we're not just passive creatures here. The Lord has indeed called us to a responsibility. He has not just said, trust the Spirit merely. He has indeed called us to that, but He has called us to trust the Spirit and to get to work. He's called us to proactively do things to fight this fight of faith. So you don't just walk around and say, well, you know, I guess I'm trusting, but I'm just going to do what I do and hope the Spirit does everything else. The Lord has called us to fight. He's called us to fight. And so I want you to know, mark with me, and Jerry Bridges makes this clear. He's called us to fight not just with dependence, as wonderful and glorious and critical as that is. He's called us also to fight with diligence. And I want to conclude our time this evening by just outlining, as Jerry does, a few key ways we ought to fight the fight of faith. We ought to fight sin with diligence. Four things I want you to notice. First off, I want you to mark this down. You and I, we need the gospel to fight sin with diligence and examination. I want you to read with me Psalm 139, beginning in verse 23. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. Lord, will you see if there's any grievous way in me? And would you lead me in the way everlasting? You see, one way you can fight sin is you need to daily examine your heart. My guess is none of us tuned in tonight probably need to examine our hearts to see if we've murdered anybody. Lord, I pray that none of us are having to examine our hearts to see if we have been unfaithful to our spouses. You probably don't need to examine your heart to see if you've, you've you know, had tax evasion or some crazy crime out there. But my guess is all of us in this room need to examine our hearts to see all the species of pride manifested in our lives. The gossip you engaged in yesterday. All those secret resentments and bitternesses you hold towards your loved ones. All those ways that you have been selfish in how you've held yourself with others. You need to examine yourself and pray, Oh God, would you help me? Search me. Show me, Lord. Take the light of the gospel, this word that's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let it reveal all these sins that are clinging, Lord. Help me to examine myself. That's the first thing you need to do. Diligently examine yourself. A second thing Jerry draws out for us is we ought to diligently memorize the Bible. Diligent memorization. I want you to notice... Uh, a, song, a verse in the Psalms that I memorized many years ago, and it has been a reminder to me that this difficult discipline is worth the sweat. Psalm 119, verse 11. I've hidden, or memorized, your word in my heart, 
that I might not sin against you. For years, I led the Awana program here at Hickory Grove's Mallow Creek campus. And at the end of every night of Awana, for about six years, I ended every night of Awana praying this verse over the hundreds of children that gathered because I want them to see that memorizing Bible verses is not an academic exercise. It is a way you fight the fight of faith. I have hidden your word in my heart, O God, that I might not sin against you. That's why we give, uh, we publish for the church what we call fighter verses. Those are verses for you to memorize and they're called fighter verses is because they help you fight the fight of faith. And so give yourself to this. If you haven't done it before, start small. We can recommend some verses to you or go find those fighter verses we publish online. And as you do, you memorize it and then let it simmer in your mind all day. And then when you're tempted to do something you know you ought not to, for example, you, you start to worry. Oh, who amongst us doesn't worry? You begin to have anxiety creep up. And when that happens, a verse like I memorized in sixth grade, Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4, comes to your heart. When I am afraid, O God, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, and God I trust, I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? That verse has kept with me for so many years to where I could stand before you and in all honesty say anxiety has never really been a big thing for me. And I give much credit to the fact that the Lord has so comforted my heart and soul from that verse I memorized as a 12-year-old. Give yourself to Scripture memory and watch the Lord use this to help you fight the fight of faith. So we need to fight the fight of faith with diligence in examination, with diligence in memorization. A third thing I want you to mark down is we ought to have diligence in prayer. Just consider the Lord's prayer itself. When Jesus taught us how to pray, one of the things he taught us in Matthew 9 verse 13 is lead us not into temptation, O God, but deliver us from evil. In other words, what we are crying out to is, Oh God, would you help us to fight the fight of faith? Help us to stand up under temptation, Oh God, would you help us? And so your life ought to be marked by consistent patterns of confession and petition. Oh God, I confess my sins. I lay them before you, and would you help me to fight this fight of faith? That prayer ought to be not only consistent, in other words, I recommend you do this every morning, Every morning I wake up, my day begins with a prayer to God. Oh God, would you help me, help me, oh God, to see you for who you really are. Help me to die to my sin and help me to live for your glory. I begin with confession and petition. But then throughout my day, when I'm tempted, in traffic and somebody cuts me off, when I'm at the store and somebody says something rude, when I'm... Uh, interacting with people I interact with on a daily basis and pride starts to butt up against each other. I begin to privately pray. Nobody would know. My eyes stay open, of course. I could be looking straight at you. Indeed, I'm praying right now as I have this message being delivered. And I'm saying, God, would you help me? Lord, would you help me to die to the sin? This is the type of prayer that Jerry Bridges has called us to in this book. Just give yourself to this consistent daily prayer, this life of prayer, and watch the Lord begin to help you fight this fight of faith every moment of every day. And so we ought to be diligent in examination. We ought to be diligent in memorization and in prayer. And then let's lastly put a period on our lesson tonight with this final reminder. We ought to be diligent in accountability. You see, the church is God's wisdom. It represents God's great design.
And He has called us to come together and to edify one another, to build one another up, to sharpen one another. He has called us to hold one another accountable because He knows who we are. He knows our frame. He knows we are but flesh. He knows how weak we are. You know how difficult it is to maintain any discipline without accountability. Most things we do in life we do because we're going to be held accountable for them to one degree or another. Just consider the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 beginning in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But if they fall, one is going to lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. What wisdom. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to hold one another accountable. Do you know why? Because there's such a thing as a blind spot. And you know the funny thing about blind spots is by definition you don't see them. I have blind spots and I by definition don't see them. I don't know they're there. I require somebody else to point them out to me, as do you. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have somebody, you need to find somebody. Somebody in your life, uh, somebody of the, of the same gender as you, who can sit down and be your source of accountability, who can help you see the subtle sins in your life and can help you apply the gospel of His grace to you. You see, we need one another. We need accountability. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need to hide God's Word in our hearts, and we need to examine ourselves to see if we are indeed dying to sin and living to righteousness. In short, if we are going to have any victory in this fight of faith, if we are going to slay subtle sins in our lives, we need nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gloriously helps us face our sin without falling to pieces and will help us fight our sins by giving us the motivation and the tools we need to find victory. These tools of dependence and these tools of diligence that we need. And so I pray that as you continue in this journey with us through this book called Respectable Sins, you will see that the gospel is the linchpin. It's the key to everything else we are about to see. Give yourself to this gospel, which alone is the remedy for our sin. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, now I ask that you would come and that you would apply this gospel to the hearts of these friends. Help them, O God, to see, help me to see that it is by your grace I stand and it is by your grace I will one day stand before you. So sustain us, we pray, and help us to slay subtle sins in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.